Welcome back, and thanks for joining me for this bonus episode, which is filled with ghost stories in honor of Friday, October 13th. I'll go ahead and add some wood to the stove. So get your favorite quilt and a cup of hot chocolate and join me around the wood stove. I wanted to share something from the Foxfire books. This series was originally published in the 70s, and it was an anthropology project that was put together by students, and they interviewed elders in their community to write down oral traditions and customs and important things to Appalachian culture. I need to start with a passage from one of the chapters called Old Time Burials, because you can't talk about ghosts without first talking about the dead. Many superstitions and ghost stories have had their beginnings at old-time burials and wakes and graveyards. Maybe it was the way some of the supposedly dead people suddenly woke up, or the way that the bodies were hauled to the church for the dramatic ceremonies held there. Nevertheless, the fascination was fact. Aunt Aerie told us in hushed tones of a neighbor who was shot during a fight and died with his eyes open. Blared, she called it and you could see the devil in them, them fighting, you know. And Ethel Korn told us of a neighbor's wife who had to be dug up and moved from the old family plot to a graveyard nearby. And she's been dead for about 20 odd years. They said when they took her up and opened that lid, there was glass over it so no air could get in and said she looked just exactly like she did when they buried her. And then they raised that glass and when they did, said it all just went down flat to nothing. As soon as a person died, a number of things were traditionally done almost simultaneously. A bell was tolled, announcing the death. A neighbor was contracted to produce a casket, unless it had been made in advance under the supervision of the person who had died. Relatives who lived away from the community were notified as quickly as possible, sometimes by means of a letter edged with a black border, and the body was washed and laid out in preparation for the wake that would take place that night in the home of the deceased. The setting up was held in the home since, as Maud Shope put it, they didn't have no funeral homes to take them to, you know. If one was to die here last night, we laid him out. What neighbors was already here because somebody is sick would strip the bed off and put them on a plain plank till you got your casket. Most of our contacts told us that the number of times the bell tolled depended on the age of the person who had died. Ethel Korn, for example, said, quick as the news went that they was dead, why somebody would go and ring the bells, and then they'd toll the bells for however many years old they were. You could count the bells a-tolling and you'd know just exactly how old that person was. This one was written by Sarah Siegfried, and I'll put all of the links in the description below. My hometown and the surrounding areas of Southwest Virginia saw battles during the American Civil War. Many communities have stories of hidden treasures and ghost soldiers. My community has several of these stories. Crockett's Cove in Wythe County saw a battle. The Battle of the Cove was fought here on May 10, 1864. Union troops passed through the cove. The small country church was transformed into a field hospital and wounded soldiers were treated here by people with little understanding of germs and sanitation. Several men died. At least one never left. 
In the 1910s, a young man in Crockett's Cove was looking for a missing cow. He went into the woods after he heard a noise, hoping his cow was there. He saw a man leaning up against a tree, holding his stomach with blood soaking through his dark blue jacket. The stranger called out to the boy, who agreed to help him. The boy ran back to his farm as fast as he could to get help and returned with several men to carry the wounded stranger out of the woods. They could not find the man. There was no sign of him. The boy insisted he wasn't lying and that there had been a man in the woods bleeding. They asked the boy to describe the wounded man. He described a man wearing a dark blue suit with black boots and a satchel over his torso. The boy had just described a Union soldier. The wounded soldier was seen several times in the woods after that. Some people who saw him were hunting. Some were foraging for sassafras. Others were just exploring. The soldier is still out there, having never made it back home to his family. In the same cove, there is a home with several tails attached to it. A family built a substantial home in the area that would be known as Crockett's Cove. During the Civil War, when the family heard that soldiers could be on their way to the area, they buried their silver and some other wealth near the house to prevent pilfering. For some reason, that's unclear. No one retrieved the items after the war, and they were lost. Perhaps the person who hid the treasure died before they could exhume it. This story passed into family lore. Was there really a treasure? Did anyone ever find it? In the 1960s, the same family owned the property, and some descendants thought it would be amusing to look for this legendary family treasure. They brought shovels, beer, and a metal detector. As they began to search for the treasure, they began to feel a sense of dread. Uneasiness crept into their fun. They began to think that what they were doing was wrong. They shook it off and continued with their search, but began to talk about these odd sensations. One treasure hunter saw the hair on his arms begin to bristle, and he felt like he was being watched. He continued searching, but still felt eyes on him. He tried to ignore the sensation, but when he looked back at the house, he saw someone in an upstairs window watching him. No one was supposed to be in the house because they were all out on the grounds with him, joined in the treasure hunt. The group stopped their search for treasure and instead searched the house, but found no one. There was no intruder inside the home. They went back out to the field, but their metal detector had stopped working. They decided it would be best to not continue their quest. Later that night, one of the group fell over a railing on the grand spiral staircase. He only had bumps and bruises, but he insisted he had not fallen, but was pushed. Years later, in the 1980s, the home was unoccupied. Several teens decided it would be fun to sneak inside and look around. When they crept up the front porch stairs in the moonlit night, they found the front door was ajar for them. They paused, daring one another to go inside. One decided he wasn't afraid and barged in. A loud, sudden sound from the porch roof made everyone scream and run back out. They heard another of their friends outside laughing and deduced that he was throwing handfuls of gravel onto the roof. The group laughed and rested a moment, allowing their hearts to go back into their chests and their legs to stop shaking. Just then, another member of the group pointed to an upstairs window, screaming. The group dismissed it as another joke. 
but then looked as the witness insisted there was something in there. They fumbled over one another, tripping and shrieking as they made for the car. There was a man standing in the window, watching them. In the same window, the treasure hunters spotted a man 20 years earlier, perhaps in the same window where he had watched over his land a century before that. A widower lives in the home now. He has quiet evenings of building model airplanes and has friends over occasionally to play cards. He is not troubled by any spirits. He doesn't believe in ghosts, and he has reverence for the house. He and his wife restored the home to its former beauty during their years living there. No one has looked for the treasure lately. The next three stories are written by Rachel Snyder. This one is called the Cedar Creek Battlefield. During the war, a nearby church had served as a hospital, as well as where the army band would practice and play. As locals cleaned up the Cedar Creek Battlefield, they took out all the bodies that had been buried in the churchyard and put them into pine boxes. A local recalls taking off the lids to the boxes, seeing how at peace some bodies looked. Others, petrified. One who'd seemingly grown a full beard while he was in the ground. Before the cart came to carry off the boxes, strange lights like candles were seen moving back and forth from the bodies to the church. It wasn't long after when, one night, the distinct sound of kettle drums and horns could be heard from the empty church. The sounds were somewhat discordant, but each instrument distinct, some ghastly imitation of a rollicking marching tune. Anyone who wandered the road nearby was liable to see troops of soldiers marching back and forth until they'd march right into thin air. Plat Eyes Plat Eyes are ghostly creatures derived from African-American folklore. These ghosts are particularly feared due to their ability to shapeshift, changing from humans to animals to strange clouds of smoke. But what makes them truly chilling is their apparent belligerence. Unlike other specters of the dead, plat eyes are consistently known to attack the living. There doesn't appear to be humanity in these beings, only a desire to do harm. One story tells of two boys traveling at night during the new moon, which is known to be a time when spirits are most active. On their travels, they were ambushed by a cloud of warm, white smoke, which begins to choke them until they flee. In Gullah culture, plat eyes are known for often taking the form of a snow-white animal with a single red eye in the middle of its forehead. Some believe plat eyes are the spirits of those who were not properly buried and therefore whose souls do not have a defined shape in the afterlife. Fool's Gold In the early 1800s, North Carolina was seeing an influx of immigrants when the news spread that there was gold to be found in the mountains. Two Scotsmen joined the rush, buying a plot of land far away from any prying eyes. When the two struck a gold vein, they were of course ecstatic, but had to swear to keep it a secret. Their fortune seemed to grow and grow until they could no longer keep it buried on the land without risking discovery. They each tried to bring some of it back to their houses, but soon rumors spread about the gold and they grew paranoid. The fortune put the two companions at greater and greater odds until one day, they're arguing on the mountain and one kills the other by near decapitation with a shovel. On his way home with his multiplied gold, 
The living Scotsman heard his companion's voice whisper a warning in his ear. Next he knew, he was being ambushed by thieves who demanded to know where the rest of the gold was. He'd die before he told them, and the thieves were accused of murdering both the Scotsmen. Legend has it that the two greedy men are still wandering the mountain, perhaps searching for their hidden gold or guarding it. This last story is set in Louisville, so not technically Appalachian, but I walk by this church all the time to get coffee, and I think it's a good one to close out on. So this one is The Lady of the Stairs, written by Carolyn Brown. This sad love story, set in a pandemic, incidentally, goes like this. A young woman, who was betrothed to an elderly distilling magnet, was in love with a young soldier. She'd sneak out of her aunt and uncle's house to rendezvous with him on the church steps every night, until the fateful night when he didn't show up. She paced back and forth until dawn and went home heartbroken, thinking he'd abandoned her. Little did she know, he'd caught a fatal case of Spanish flu. She died not long after, also of Spanish flu, though likely heartbreak as well. The legend says that on some nights, you can see the ghost of a woman on the steps, waiting for her true love to return there. If you liked the stories and you'd like to read further, all the links are in the episode description. And Moss Hollow resumes next Tuesday as usual. Thanks for listening.